This is the Power to Podcast, show 72. I'm honest with the kids about my story. I, 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 I tell them that I went to a high school with a cemetery in the front yard. Um, I tell them that I went to a high school where I worried every day about being, you know, beat up by bullies or having your stuff stolen like that. I tell them what my junior high and middle school and high school years were like. They were horrible. They were horrible until I found that one thing that I can latch on to. Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Matt, counting down the days, Rogers. Matt, we just finished recording with an awesome guest, Justin Belt. Uh, He has finished school on Friday. When are you finished school? How many days from now? I don't know. Um, (laughs) We're recording this on a Tuesday. I have... uh, seven days left. Seven days left. Very yeah. nice. That's about a week. Very nice. I'm at about 13. Uh, our students finish on a Thursday. It's teacher cleanup day Friday. And then I get to finish out the year by facilitating district-wide PD on a following Monday. Oh, they're going to be thrilled to see your face. <laughs> I will leave it at that. <laughs> But seriously, so the the last few days with your students, what aside from the logistics of getting all your grades and all that all that stuff that doesn't matter, what are things that you always try to reflect on from the entire year that you make sure that is communicated to your students before they walk out your door the last time? Um, I guess I should probably have something that I want to say at the end of the year, right? Just kidding. Of course I have something. Um, this year's a little different. You know, I have an incredible group. I have one of my favorite groups I've ever taught. And so there's a a, a portion that I I want to express how much I've enjoyed this year without grieving that they will not be with me next year. And I think that's a, probably a weird thing to say, but you work so incredibly hard for so incredibly long to build this relationship with kids that they know the routines, they know the respect, they know the opportunities. And we get to a point where they're just thriving in those opportunities I've had the best month of teaching that I can remember where the kids are incredibly creative, you know, incredibly respectful. We're coming up with ideas. They're coming up with as many ideas as I am. It is challenging to leave something that 
you've worked so hard and say, okay, go enjoy summer. But I think the importance um, is to reinforce the same values you've had all year. I care about you. I care about your academic performance. I care about your parents and family. I care about your pets. I care about you as a human being. And I'll always be here for you. And you're always welcome. And there will be a point where you want to avoid me because I'm wearing ridiculous outfits. But if you're having a tough day, we're here for you. Always. Forever. And I think, Ken, you get to see that too. And you may see them sometimes in that intermediate middle school area where, you know, it might be too cool to see Mr. Ehrman unless you're one-on-one. But you also might see them in that high school where they kind of have the composure to recognize that it's not so uh, uncomfortable to associate as an, a, a young adult with an adult. Um, so I think those last days are are shouldn't be critical if you did the 174 days justice, but it's just another time that you can say, hey, let's reflect. We had an incredible year. We did some awesome things. I'm proud of all that you've done. Let's enjoy the last few moments together. Yeah, you know, I would say for me it was I I wanted to spend as much time as I could with them. I didn't like that we had like school assemblies and although I did, I enjoyed the school assemblies, field days and those things. Like I always tried to like bring it back to let's experience everything together. We would usually spend every lunch together. We would eat outside together or in the classroom because I just wanted to keep them as a cohesive unit together for those last moments before they were, they were moving on to, to middle school. And the other thing was really encouraging them to think about their middle school journeys and getting involved and, and what they can do to start their journey there successfully. Um, and, you know, our conversation tonight with Justin was right in line with this. He is all about the students. He's all about the culture, the experience, whether it's related to his curriculum or to just the way he connects with students. But, you know, that is his top priority. And, and you can even see it when he talks about aspiring to be an assistant principal in the same capacity. It's about those relationships. It's about the school experience being positive for students. So, Tonight was a great conversation, um, and I just want to jump right into it. So let's go ahead and hear from Justin Belt. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? Hey, I am great. Uh, thank you all for having me. I'm, I'm pretty geeked about this conversation. Absolutely. So kick things off for us real simple. Just officially introduce yourself. Let us know where you are coming from and give us a snapshot into what your career in education has looked like. Okay. So yeah, I am Justin. Um, father of five kids, uh, husband of uh, a wife who's in school to become a chiropractor uh, as of August 2023. Um this is my ninth year of teaching, my third year of teaching high school, um, my sixth, the ninth year of teaching overall. Up till then, I'd done uh, middle school or junior high. They're interchangeable, I guess. Um, I got into teaching 
after I had run from it from a really good part of my life. I come from a family of teachers. Um, and, you know, I was adopted and come to find out that on my biological side of the family, I also had school administrators and teachers on uh, on that side of the family, too. So it's inescapable. So I was uh, a music major in school. Um, my mom said, mom always said, you should get a backup degree in English so that, I mean, people will always need teachers. I said, mom, I don't want to teach because I don't like kids. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, I got my degree in music, vocal performance, uh, did a little bit of opera, uh, got a, a master's degree in human resource management, did that for about seven years. And I got tired of dealing with the adults. Uh, and I saw kind of where you know, adults who care getting with these kids early on could probably stop some of the things that I was seeing working in human resources. So yeah, I quit my job and uh, two years to the date that I quit my job, I got my first job as an English teacher uh, at a junior high in Webb City, Missouri. Um, so I was there for six years and it was one of those things where, you know, you're nervous about that first day, right? I never had kids, you know, never had students. You're in this classroom. You've tried to get it decorated the best you can. And then the kids come in and, you know, like there's this instant connection. And I had a great time that first year. Um, and so, yeah, I think my, my ultimate goals are to, to move into school administration. Um I think my, my jam would be, you know, the cool assistant principal uh, that, that people like and they send all the serious stuff to the other APs, but they just come hang out with me, uh, students and teachers. But yeah, that's where I am right now. And uh, we're just trying to wrap this school year up and enjoy a little bit of a break over the summer, even though teachers don't truly break over the summer, but you know. Yeah, absolutely. So first thing, I'm going to stop making any complaints about having three kids um, <laughs> compared to your five. So I'll leave that out for, for tonight's recording at least. Um, so we've had, a, we've had a couple guests at this point that have started their professional careers outside of education before then coming back into education. And so this is a question I've asked in the past, but I always think it's a really interesting one. What in that time working in human resources what experiences, skills did you gain that you feel have an, a positive impact on your um, your teaching, as well as possibly even you know looking ahead ahead at your administration trajectory? You know, what are things that you feel you gain from that that other people that move right into education wouldn't be fortunate enough to learn because they went right back into the education system? I think for me. I really got a chance to see where I lean. Um, as a human resource generalist, you do everything. You do the benefits, you do the recruiting, you do the hiring and the firing. And I discovered that my jam was the training piece, orienting the new employees that came in, uh, coming up with different ways to keep them engaged, um, keeping the energy up in there. Uh, and so, that was the part of it that I really, really, really latched on to. Um, and so when I really started thinking seriously about teaching, 
that was the part that I was most excited about, uh, being able to take something that might bore you to tears in one minute, but then have you so engaged that we can stand up and dance on tables if, if, if it came down to that. Uh, and so that kind of thinking uh, is what I, I've tried to use in my years of teaching because I tell my students day one, everything that we do in here, you're not going to be interested in. You're probably going to want to check out and not really engage with. Give me a chance to change your mind. Just give me one chance to change your mind. Uh, and then if it doesn't work, then we'll figure something else out. But you've got to give me a chance to change your mind. And that's what I would always tell my orientation classes when I work in human resources. Um, and since I have kind of, you know, an artsy background with music and everything, I am a huge proponent of bringing the arts into everything that I do in my classroom. Uh, that allows me to engage with so many more students. And it just makes the class environment fun. I don't want to be bored in my classroom. If I'm bored, then they're bored. So I, I'm doing as much as I can to keep myself engaged as I can to keep them engaged. Well, I think a lot of times we as educators get to hear from admin, you know, those are a lot of the immeasurable skills. You know, mm -hmm. if you go the classic Danielson rubric, the planning and preparation, the integration of, you know, the teaching practice, the curriculum is a uh, barrier. You know, feeling comfortable with what you're teaching is always going to be a barrier. When you feel more comfortable with what you're teaching, then you're going to be able to teach it better. But, mm -hmm. you know, the spirit that you bring to the classroom environment, the spirit that you bring to how you creatively think about building the teaching process is a huge part that we a lot of times um, struggle to explain. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, I don't think it's a born with uh, skill necessarily. A lot of times, uh, I think people generalize that it's either have it or you don't. I think it's just, you enjoy what you do. So one of the things that I've, I've loved about the podcast is breaking down some of these topics that are super difficult to put into words. But if you're okay, going on that journey with us to say, you know, <laughs> what are steps that we can look and say, Hey, these are some things that I can consider. Um, so launching into that, you know, you have the leverage of saying, hey, I found what I really liked in my previous position. I can take from that and say, you know, this is who I am as a human being and bring that spirit into my classroom and feel comfortable to do so. Um, energy like that is just appealing and engaging. So what are some of those aspects when thinking about your classroom that your kids get to see that you, f you freely bring in because of, you know, that, that fourth domain of the Danielson rubric? So I want to go back to, first, I want to go back to what you said about curriculum. Um, curriculum has always been an area of, of struggle for me. Uh, because it, for me, it's always felt so restrictive. Um, it's felt, and in some cases, it's it's felt bland. And it often leaves me actually just wanting to toss the whole thing away and just see what I can come up with in that day. And I've done that <laughs> quite quite a few times. And um, 
you know, I've gotten in trouble for it, but I think that's just kind of who I am as a teacher. Um, I've come to understand curriculum. It's always going to be what you make of it. Like I, I work in a district now where they give you the whole, you know, universal design of everything for the units and everything, everything they want you to read. Um, but when I came into the school that I'm at now, I've been there for two years. I told the, um, the, the, the lead instructional coach for the district, I told her, if you come into my classroom, you may see your pretty curriculum documents just kind of balled up on the side of the room. But just go along with me because I know what you want them to learn. I know what I want them to learn. Let me figure out a way to get them to that point. Now, I understand that, you know, that can be, you know, that, that makes people nervous when you say, let me see what I, let, let me see what I can do with this. But I also think, I also think that a lot of teachers feel stuck or in a rut in teaching because at some point along the way, they subscribed only to what the curriculum said and they've lost themselves in it. Like if I were in an elementary class, I have the benefit of all of the play and all of the manipulatives that are built into the curriculum. Now, me as a high school teacher, my students don't have play. They don't have manipulatives. However, if I break down the design of the lessons, who's to stop me from putting those things in there? Because kids will always need play. So, and I even call my ninth graders, you all are just taller kindergartners. So use this Play-Doh. Um, but it's just, I don't know, cu curriculum is one of those things where I'm always learning, always growing. And I've been around enough of them to know that I can usually find the creativity within me to get what they want me to get. It just won't look like what they expect it to look like. Well, I'm right there with you. And I know that Matt is too. Because we've had this conversation many times. Matt is in a situation right now, and, and Matt, cut me off if you want to add anything here, where his school district is rolling out new programs, and those programs are being branded as curriculum. And when I started teaching fifth grade, we had a program that was branded as our curriculum in reading. We had a program that was around longer. Um, it wasn't new like the reading one, but again, it was branded as a curriculum. And very quickly, I said, this isn't curriculum. This is a scripted guide that, you know, anyone can step in and teach. But I can look at the skills in the unit and I can identify, oh, this is what you want my students to learn. Correlate those to the standards, even come to realize that a lot of the state standards weren't being covered because it was a nationally written program and say, well, if you want the kids to learn these standards, then I need to deviate from that. And I think that's where curriculum can succeed or fail. Great curriculum outlines the skills that you want students to understand the essential questions that they all should be able to answer or generate thoughts around even if they don't answer specifically which you shouldn't be able to with an essential question but you know these are the things that i want to carry towards my students and you can have lessons built into the curriculum so that a teacher can step in on day one and not be overwhelmed and say oh i can just do that perfect because a first year teacher they need that. They need to. They need to do that to then realize 
where do students fall short? Where do they exceed? And that's where differentiation becomes, you know, into play as well. So I love what you said about, let me get them there. Let trust me to get them there because that shows that you have an understanding of what your students are learning. And, you know, you can speak now, you, you're, you spent six years in, in junior high and then you moved to high school. I'm sure you were a much more masterful teacher in year six than you were in year seven because you were doing all new skills and you didn't know where those high school students were going to land when you started those skills as compared to now, you know, your trajectory is much faster because you're in year eight of your teaching, you know, by year two in high school, you're going to be where you were at year four or five in your previous position, but maybe even speak to that. Like, what was it like making that transition where you had this attitude of, I'm going to take their curriculum, but I'm going to do what's best for my kids. But, you know, what was that like year one in high school where you didn't fully understand, you know, not necessarily the curriculum, but just where the students were at in correlation to that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So my first year in the high school, uh, we just moved to Texas from Missouri. So new state, uh, new demographic of students, um, and a lot of fear because I'd never done high school. I'd never done high school before. Um, I tried in my district in Missouri, but they wanted to keep me in the middle school because they, they felt like that that's where, you know, the treasure was. And I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, high school is, is and was different. Um, it, it sounds weird to say, but there can definitely be a fear factor that will keep you in your head with these kids because they have their phones, because they have their watches and all of these other things, uh, distractions to keep them away from the lesson. But I, I've been in classes with students where before I start class, they are up and having a great time laughing and joking. And as soon as I clap my hands and say, okay, let's, let's get started. It's crickets for the rest of class, you know, not laughing at a, at a corny dad joke, not engaging with the music, not doing anything. I remember my, my first year in, in high school, um, we were reading the Odyssey uh, by Homer. And my, my students weren't getting it. Like they were literally zoning out. And so I looked on my bookshelves and I had uh, enough copies of Long Way Down uh, for a class set. And so just on, just on a complete whim, I switched and we started doing that book discussing Hero's journey through Long Way Down. I hadn't seen anything like that or talked to anybody about anything like that. But because it was a book that they saw themselves in, I immediately had that buy-in. They were telling me stories about, you know, what what would happen if, if they were the main character, who would they see at this stage of the story? What would that experience be at this stage of the story? And at that point, y'all, I'm not thinking about the curriculum. I'm thinking about my kids are crashing and burning. What can I do to try to right the ship what can I do to to engage them? What can I do to get them sharing about their worldview and storytelling? Because storytelling is an essential part uh, of how we learn and how we access the world outside of ourselves. Um, so that simple shift from the book that everybody else was doing 
to me going rogue and saying, I'm going to do what's best for my students. Um, I think that's the one thing that I go back to when I find myself feeling like I'm corralled by expectations or curriculums or stuff. I always come back to the, I'm going to do what's best for my students and I'm going to get them where they need to be in a way that feels good for me as a teacher and in a way where I can get them to engage as a student. So let me just kind of jump in and, and ask about that. You know, um, I lo- I've loved a few of your answers so far because, you know, I, I see the struggle that I'm going with. I have a student teacher right now and it's, you know, here's this scripted program and you've come from a college experience where you look at a standard and you build a lesson from scratch that you hope does justice towards that standard, but it's filled with creativity and critical thinking and, uh, you know, high quality instructional concepts, you know, things that you're proud to do. And then you end up feeling you know tied directly to this manual and we've been talking about this zoom out you know first year first day i'm here with a manual and if i can peek above it you know that's a success and then you work away to say you know i can acknowledge the front row of kids which are my kids of highest need you know and then you can you know look at beyond that it is an extreme challenge in this new curriculum. But I think the thing that I want to know from you is what gave you that liberty to say, I'm going to get them there? You know, there it, it doesn't seem like you have a lack of confidence that you will get there, right? You know that you're going to do the right thing for kids. And, and if you make a mistake along the way, that's fine, right? You are okay with it. But as a new teacher, that's a really difficult conversation you said earlier to say to an admin hey that beautiful curriculum that you spent a lot of money on you'll see in a variety of different ways that takes a a special way to approach that man (laughs) um sometimes i don't know if it's confidence or just stupidity (laughs) (laughs) we've all been there yeah yeah I I just what it, it comes it comes down to you know so much state testing so much so many district assessments um you know I I've had the opportunity to talk to some uh some fresh grads out of out of teacher certification programs um and what I tell them is you should know, <clears throat> excuse me, the big ideas of the curriculum, but don't marry your identity or your teaching style to that curriculum. <clears throat> you marry who you are uh, based on your beliefs about learning, your love for your students. If you can find that common ground between you and your students, the curriculum will come. If you can build a firm relationship and get a firm foundation with the students, the, the curriculum will come. Um, I spend more time in my classroom fostering relationships than I do teaching curriculum. But every year I get through everything that we're supposed to get through. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that that 
you know, leads to me having these stellar state testing scores and all of my students do this and all of my students do that. Um, but, but I can say that I can see growth and any teacher worth their salt will be excited to see growth in a student, whether it's academic, whether it's social, whether it's emotional. Maybe you have a student who comes in that first day and can't tell you the last time they dreamed. But by the end of the year, they can say, oh, Mr. Belt, I had a dream that I was a baseball player. Awesome. What you going to do about it? Um, and it is, honestly, y'all, it, it, the everything else about teaching right now almost repels me. But getting a chance to know the students, that is what keeps me coming back day after day after day. Because these students, no matter what age or grade level they're at, they want someone to know them. They'll never tell you that, but they want someone to know them and to accept them on an authentic level. And being able to crack that puzzle with as many students as you can over the course of the year, that's where the wins are. That's where the growth is. And once you get to that point, you can teach them anything in the curriculum through any means that you see fit to do it. And they will partner with you and come and come along with you on that educational journey. Mm. You might need to repeat that again. You know, I think that is the core value as, you know, educators recognizing. And I'd honestly, I'd love to ask something you said in there that stuck out to me is you're talking a lot about how you saw yourself and how you were going to approach it and you were going to do your best and you were going to expose your kids to what they had out there and um, just do your very best, right? And I, I almost would love to hear from both Ken and you, Justin. You know, I feel like, Ken, when you were in an elementary school, we didn't really have, I mean, one of the things, uh, there's not like an, a men in elementary support group out there um, where you can be like, hey, this is the model of being a male elementary teacher. There's just, I don't know if it's just a that we need to start something up, but you go to teacher pay teachers and you're not going to find materials in, you know, a font or a style that matches my way. And Justin, I don't know, as you know, an English teacher, teacher at the high school, my only exposure to English teachers, again, in my experience is female driven. Oh, literature and diving into books and, you know, making adjustments. So when you brought up that point of, you know, what is that mold that I have to fit in? Do you actually feel like both of you are in an advantage because there isn't a straight line that you stay on or the fact that you don't have anyone really to bounce ideas off of your natural teaching can come out more fluidly. I don't know who wants to go first on that. You can, Justin. I'm going to say you can. Um, <laughs> I definitely think we need a men's teaching support group. <laughs> so uh, if, you, if you if you create it, I will probably be the first person to to sign up for it. Um, in I think in my position, what has enabled me to just 
free flow it, just toss things at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, I think above all else, it was the fact that I didn't have a mentor my very first year of teaching. So I had to learn everything on my own. And so just from that right there, I wasn't going to be the kind of teacher that everybody else in the building was. Plus, I was the only Black teacher in my entire district for the entire six years that I taught there. Um, I, it, now, now that I'm in high school, uh, I think, because there's so many more uh, male teachers kind of where I, where I am, um, but I, I think what I'm seeing is I'm honest with the kids about my story. I, 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 I tell them that I went to a high school with a cemetery in the front yard. Um, I tell them that I went to a high school where I worried every day about being, you know, beat up by bullies or having your stuff stolen like that. I tell them what my junior high and middle school and high school years were like. They were horrible. They were horrible until I found that one thing that I can latch on to. And again, you know, everything that we do in a, in, a, in a class period, we're teaching the students something. Even if we're not talking about quadratic equations or y, uh, y equals mx plus b, I might have said that wrong. Um, even Even me standing in front of my teachers and talking about my story that's teaching them something. Um, it is giving them an opportunity to be empathetic or, or compassionate, or it gives them a doorway that they can walk through and say, ah, okay, here is a teacher who has been maybe where I find myself or who has had thoughts that, who has had thoughts in his past that I've had in my future uh, that, I, that I'm currently wrestling with right now. Um, and, and while I think, you know, it is important for students to have men teachers early on in school and throughout, I think really what you have in education, um, you have teachers who are comfortable enough with themselves and who they are to be authentic and transparent and honest with the, teacher, uh, with the students. And then you have those who... Are, are are more uh, protective with their story. Now, I can't say which which is best. I know what's worked for me. Uh, and even, you know, before I taught, I was a librarian in an elementary school. And um, one of the things that I would love to do on, on Fridays, they would let me come into their classrooms with my guitar. They'd tell me what they were thinking about and we'd write a song together. Um, and then from there, they would ask me, how'd you learn to play guitar? How did you get so good in music? Now I can share my story. Now they can share their stories and now they can share their dreams. Um, yeah, I think that's why I want to become, I only want to be an assistant principal uh, because I want to be that connector, that relationship builder, that you know, culture and climate person in my school that's not just there for the students, but I also want to be able to come alongside teachers of, you know, every year of influence from the newbie first coming in still wet behind the ears to the, you know, the veteran teacher that might be a little crotchety, but still loves what he or she does. And just find a way to, to build those lines of, uh, of connectivity. So I'm sorry, Ken, I took a lot of time, but I'd love your answer.
<laughs> it was an awesome answer. I love that answer. And I would say mine's very similar, but I'm, I'm still going to try to, to, to generate my own, but I definitely connected with you on that. You know, I definitely filled a role as a male teacher in an elementary building. In my building, we actually did have another one in fourth grade who had been there before I was there and he's, he's still there now. Uh, but most, most years we had three classes per grade level. So there was at least two thirds of my students that usually did not have an experience with that teacher. So I was for many students, their first male teacher as they were exiting elementary school. And, you know, I, th I think what I, what I feel the same with you, Justin, is it's not so much about that as about genuinely caring about them. You know, I was not the warm, snuggly, you know, um, teacher for them, but I would venture to bet that every student I've ever had know, knew that I genuinely and 100% cared about them. You know, my first year, we very unfortunately had a teacher pass away towards the end of the school year. And so I was hugging kids while they were crying, you know, but I also delivered the news to every fifth grade class because my colleagues who had known this teacher for way longer than I had being my first year couldn't do it. They were too broken up about it. So I also had to, you know, to bear that whether or not that's about being a male, I, I don't know. But, you know, I think what's important is that my students knew that I genuinely cared about them. And I think that I was able to step into that you know, quote unquote, typical male role model uh, role for many students who needed that. But I also was able to connect with really shy students, um, even, you know, really shy female students who were frankly, probably very intimidated by me in the beginning of the year. But, you know, as time progressed, and I continued to make efforts to talk to them, to connect with them, to show them that I care that all of those walls were broken down by, you know, mid-year, by the end of the year, whenever it was. And so, you know, I think what's most important, like you said, is that we're genuine and that we care about them and we focus on building those relationships with those students. And so, you know, I, I think regardless of who you are, what's most important is that you embrace who you are. You're honest about that. And you do expose yourself, like you said, Justin, if you want people to trust you, if you want these kids to trust you, you have to show that you trust them. You don't have to cross any, you know, any boundaries that are beyond what's appropriate, but it can be simple things. You know, like when I, my first five or six years teaching, I worked in a restaurant Friday nights from the moment I got out until 2 a.m. And I told my kids about that. I wanted them to know the type of work ethic that I had. They saw it on a daily basis, but they also saw what I was doing outside of that. When I was working on home projects, I would show them pictures. When I got engaged my first year towards the end of the year, I shared that with them, you know, announcing that we were having, you know, our first kid, like all those different things. It doesn't have to be a lot. And everybody that that boundary that they're willing to cross or to go towards is going to be different. And that's okay. But what you should look at is, can you extend your boundary a little bit further to expose yourself a little bit more so that your students get to know who you are? And are you doing enough to get to know who they are? So I don't know if that answers your, your question, Matt. Well, and I, I think even... No, I, I, go, go ahead, Justin. No, I was just going to say real quick, sorry to interrupt you, Matt. Um, we ask our students every day to come in and be a little bit better today than you were the day before. So why aren't we modeling that for them? 
can just like you said, be willing to expand your boundary a little bit day by day. Everything that we're doing is teaching them. Um, and I, that's, I think that's powerful. Um, there, I mean, I remember the first time this year I told my students that I was adopted uh, and I told them, you know, kind of the circumstances around it and how uh, out of it, my dad, uh, my biological dad struggled with uh, basically a, almost a 30 year drug addiction. Um, after class, this, 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 this young lady who doesn't really talk a whole lot in class, she said, I haven't seen my dad uh, since, I haven't seen him since I was born because he chose drugs over me. That allowed me to really have a discussion with her that it's not a choice necessarily that he's making. It's a battle that he's fighting. Um, so I, I was thinking about that as you were speaking, Ken, and I, I just wanted to share it. But, you know, I have never had that discussion with any of my students before. But I saw an opportunity there to stretch, enhance my vulnerability just a little bit, and I took it, and it paid off. Totally. I, I just think, and and maybe this will lead back in or to a a different topic. But one of the things I think uh, I found is in the last three or four years. You know, everyone's gone through trauma in different ways through the pandemic and even leading into the pandemic. You know, there was a testing bubble that was bound to burst right before the pandemic. And people, I think, you know, realize that it's still important, but let's recognize where kids are and development and what are really our priorities. And I feel like I've come through the pandemic as a much more vulnerable teacher not inappropriate, not inconsiderate, but a, a less guarded. You know, I'm not sitting there with my iron shirt and tie standing back, afraid to get dirty as a fourth grade teacher. You know, Ken, you feel like you have the liberty to, to speak to the positives and negatives. Justin, you feel like you can represent yourself because you're real. Do you feel like there's a difference in education now because of what I'm kind of speaking to? And where is that limit of where you could see, you know, we're going to have, I guess what I'm, what I'm battling with right now is I feel like these conversations and these vulnerabilities are the access points for kids to make sizable change. You know, to have conversations about what's going on in their lives because every kid has trauma that they're coming out of, regardless if they have the perfect household situation, abuse to the every thing in the other end of the spectrum. Everyone is struggling in some capacity. And so that vulnerability and knowing what that threshold is, is, you know, a beautiful thing that builds connection but it also can be a little dangerous, you know, especially as us as male teachers um, trying to, to recognize that I, I can only expose so much. I can only lean into so much. And um, it almost feels, again, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. It almost feels in this social emotional journey that it's a little bit of the wild, wild west. You know, it almost seems like we can 
say anything and everything. And I worry that the other end of the spectrum of, hey, that's too far um, can can pop up at a time that we're not intending for it. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that, though. So teaching on this side of the pandemic is hard. <laughs> it is it is hard. And and what you're talking about, Matt, sharing that vulnerability um, without being, you don't have to be inappropriate across any boundaries or any lines to do that. However, however, what I'm seeing in high schoolers is that sometimes some of them will take that vulnerability and it will immediately come uh, you know, a meme or Snapchat or Instagram. So in, in some ways, I've actually been more guarded this year just because the first few days of the year, students stalked my social media. Like they found my social media. And I mean, we had to have an honest conversation. Like, Mr. Bell, don't play like that. <laughs> like, I mean, we... we we, we, we don't do that. Yeah, that, that's not what we do. But it's hard because for basically two years, um, these students have almost been able to do the exact things that they wanted to do in the exact moment that they wanted to do them. So now, oh, Mr. Bell, you're telling me that we have to do schoolwork, that I have to write a paper, that I have to do homework. Yes, I am. It don't work like that. Um, so it's been it's been harder, but I also think, and I could be wrong here, that being a man has allowed me to take a little bit more of an authoritative stance with them. Um, now, don't get me wrong. My wife, when she was a teacher, I would not have crossed my wife in the classroom. My mom, I had my I had my mom as a teacher. And she dressed me down in front of the class, and I still remember it to this day. And I wasn't even talking, but she 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 got onto me. But I, because as a society, I think we we are kind of seeing some of the mass erosion of the family dynamic. Um, I know in the African American communities and some of the Hispanic communities, but just across the board, we're seeing some of those breakdowns. Um, for me, it's important that they see a man, a teacher, just a person who's not going to be your father, but someone who can embody traits that you might think that you want to adopt for yourself, even if you're not seeing it at home. Now, that's lofty. And some people might listen to that and say, oh, Justin, you think too much of yourselves. But I mean, my thing is this, if they're going to learn stuff from social media, like, is that really the barometer that we want them setting for themselves? I mean, kids as young as, you know, first and second grade with unlimited access to social media and all these different things. So if they can learn stuff from there, then I'm definitely going to put values out there and model values for them to learn in my classroom that they can pull out. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I think it's super important to to consider what are we what are we explicitly saying what are we modeling and are we encouraging positive values you know there are so many positive values that we all can agree on regardless of our background regardless of 
where we live, how we live, you know, things like working hard, um, things like, you know, being kind to others. There's so much that we can encourage and embody and, and explicitly teach to our students that are either going to introduce these concepts for the first time, depending on their family dynamic, or to support what they're hearing at home and to just further, you know, um, further emphasize that in the classroom. So I, I think that's, that's really key. So what I would love to do, Justin, is, is transition this just a bit, but just give us a snapshot of what a typical day in your classroom looks like. So just to clarify, uh, as a high school teacher, are you teaching, let us know if you're teaching 45 minute lessons or a 90 minute block, but just give us a snap, a snapshot. What is a, a typical day? I'm sure they're, they're different all the time, but what is it like to, to walk into your classroom? What are kids doing? How do you, how do you take command of the class to start? Just give, give us kind of a background on that. Uh, so class always starts with music playing. Um, and, is it uh, 45 minutes or 90 minutes? Oh yeah. Sorry. It's 45 minute classes. Okay. Um, class starts with music. I take roll, uh, and I always give them a little bit of extra time after I take roll just to finish their conversations, et cetera, et cetera. When the music stops, then they know that I'm ready to start class. Uh, class usually starts for me with some type of a journal. Um, I, I don't know, for whatever reasons, I've always kind of railed against bell ringers, even though I see the, the, the benefits behind them. I prefer to do journals um, just because I like them tap, you know, tapping into their feelings or whatever's going on in their lives. I always ask if anybody wants to share. Usually nobody wants to share. Uh, but as they're journaling, as they're journaling, I'm also doing some writing of some kind. So maybe it's poetry. Maybe it is a short journal. I share my journal or I share my poetry with them. And then we, we will jump into the class. Um, I don't open class up by talking about what the learning target is. I try to give them room to infer because that's one of our big skills, making inferences, to infer what the, what the target is toward the end of class. Um, and sometimes it requires some steering. Sometimes it's, you know, being creative with it, like having them do table tweets. So they work together to come up with a single tweet from their table that tells me what they think our learning target was for that day. Um, before we end class, what do we do? Oh, usually the end of class, we're just talking and conversing. Um, for me, that is an essential part of instruction from bell to bell. Uh, I always like to end class just having informal conversations uh, giving me a chance to access them more, or if there's a student who needs help with something that allows me time to give a little bit uh, of a tutorial before they leave uh, to go to the next class. But there are a lot of variations in there. Uh, some days I'll have my guitar and I'll just make up a silly song about what we're talking about. But usually that is kind of the structure that I try to adhere to. Can I add on to that? So beyond sure. just Justin as the instructor, I know something you mentioned earlier is, you know, the culture that you bring to kids and even your staff and, and ideally um, as that assistant principal role in the future, you know, a morale booster. What else do you feel like you do in addition to just teaching that changes the climate of your school? Um. So I, I'm generally that guy that's out the hallway high-fiving kids, whether they're in my class or not. 
Um, if I catch your eye, I'm 99% of the time going to ask you how you're doing. I may say, how's your mama doing? How's your dog doing? How's your goldfish doing? Um, and, you know, just I try to look every student in the eye. I try to call every student by their name. And I try to meet them at the door uh, with some type of a high five or a fist bump and just a quick check-in before they enter into the classroom uh, just to make sure that as much as possible, uh, students are coming in with a, a clear head, a clean slate, especially if a student and I have had a conflict in the class prior, I'll go out of my way. Like I may run down the hall and catch that student as they're just turning onto the hallway. How you doing? We good? What you thinking about? What you eat for dinner? What you watch for TV? Because I want them to know that I'm not holding it, that I'm not holding it against them. Um, so yeah, I'm, I try my best to be a morale booster, just getting involved in all of the the silly things. You know, at my campus now, I make all of the birthday videos. Um, I brought back the teacher and student of the year programs uh, to the school, um, you know, participating in, you know, uh, kindness activities where you're filling the school with post-it notes or, you know, just, just different things like that. Uh, those are very, very important because like I said, if I get bored, everybody else is bored. I don't like to get bored. Uh, so even as an introvert, I, I actively find the energy as much as I can, uh, to embrace more of my extroverted, let's have fun tendencies. How do you feel, how do you feel your the dynamic you're bringing. I love the music. I, I did that all the time as well. Um, the way that you you bring in that extroverted piece, how do you adjust and make students who are very, very introverted feel comfortable in your class to be themselves, but also possibly do you push them to try to get out of their shell a little bit more? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a shy person myself. When I don't know you, I'm usually, you know, a little bit quieter making small talk with adults at parties is literally one sounds like one of the worst things I could ever possibly want to do. Um, you know, and, and I can already see it in my son, you know, um, he is timid when we go to a playground for the first 15 minutes, even if it's with kids that he plays with all the time. But I, I find myself, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I also want to encourage him to, to see that when he comes out of his shell, he typically has more fun and we're, we're seeing that already with him and, and encouraging him to do so. So how do you how do you play that dynamic where you want kids to move towards that, but you don't want to make them feel so uncomfortable that they shut down? You also want to kind of respect who they are. Three words. Give them space. Um, I give them space to get comfortable with the classroom, to get comfortable with me. Um, you know, if I'm passing by and we're working on something, I may just stop and try to hold a quiet conversation. Whether they respond, I don't care. But I do want them to know that I'm here, number one. Number two, I'm interested in you. And number three, I'm not going to force any of this on you. When you're ready, you can engage. And there have been, I mean, you all know this, there are some kids that don't open up to you until the last day of the year. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to miss you over the summer. What? I didn't even know you knew my name. Um, so I just, I, I, I give them space because I mean, I'm an introvert too. So 
I get it. I get it. If if I'm not feeling conversational, then you won't be able to get anything out of me. However, if you give me room and space just to get a feel for everything, then I'm more likely to eventually come over and start a conversation or at least reply to the conversation that you're trying to get me to engage in. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I love your sorry, Matt. I love your three words. Go ahead, Matt. I just want to add, you know, Justin, I feel like every school needs a Mr. Belt, though, you know, introverted. There's an element of that. Obviously, we can tell that you're incredibly wise and, you know, very thoughtful with your words. But, you know, you push through for the things you believe in. And I think that. As I, I know, I mentioned it earlier, it's really hard when naturally things that come naturally, you just know the right thing to do is to restore a relationship as soon as possible with a kid. How do you do that? You're silly, you're in their face, you're all over the place. You know, that is how you prove that it didn't last long. Or, you know, and I think one of the things I've appreciated from this conversation is I feel like you focus on the things that are important in the classroom and whether that's your view on curriculum, you know, we'll cover it. We'll get it taken care of. Don't worry. If it's your view on how to treat kids, if it's your view on your role in how you interact or even your classroom culture, it just seems like, you know, Going back to that male support group, it, it, it is the embodiment of probably something that you say, hey, it's nothing special. It's just how I run my classroom. You know, this is, this is what I want to do in my room, and it's really hard. But I just want to give kudos to you to say that, like, that's the environment that more teachers need to feel comfortable to be. And I think that we leave this conversation, I know we're probably going to get near our, our next segment, but it's totally great for Mr. Belt's class to look like Mr. Belt's class. And what comes naturally for you is what you should be doing. And breaking away when you feel like you can, do it. And what Mr. Ehrman did, you know, I can't tell you enough how many times this year I've tried to do things that I think Ken would approve of me. Why do I want to do that? Because Ken's an incredible educator. Mr. Belt is an incredible educator. I'm trying to emulate it, but I've finally started to recognize that Mr. Rogers is a pretty good educator too, and he can do it in his own style. So that confidence that we've talked about through this whole conversation of just doing you and, you know, I'm, I'm jealous of you having an outside experience before I'm always envious of those educators that come into the profession after the fact because you know you're making a difference. I've been in education every day of my adult working career. I think that I'm achieving what I'm doing. You know, I get validation every once in a while, but ne never as frequently as we need it. You know that, you know, 90% of adults are working a thankless job but they don't get to have the impact. You many days are working a thankless job, but you also know what the alternative is. And this is so much better. So that's my pedestal 
you know, kudos to both you guys and just anyone who's honestly in this position recognizing these are being yourself is something that we need to embrace more. So can I throw something out there real quick? I'm sorry. Um, first, thank you. Uh, if I think of, if I think about it though, this year I have had more days where I've wanted to quit than in all of my years of teaching um, before. Um, <clears throat> And I don't think that I'm able to go back every day without being honest about the fact that there are a lot of days that I've come to work this year that I wasn't okay, that work wasn't okay, that the kids weren't okay, and it just all spiraled into this big ball of ain't nobody's okay. Um, but I think, and you know, you, 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 you. You, you see the news headlines of, of, you know, teachers who are dissatisfied or overwhelmed who, who are leaving, leaving the profession. Um, and I think, man, just having a space where you can tell yourself, I want to quit. It's okay. But I'm not going to. I just want to. Um, I, I, I've, I've grown. I've grown. And I'm still growing uh, from a from an emotional standpoint because I'm an emotional guy. Uh, I'm I've grown from an emotional standpoint to understand that it's okay to have negative feelings about what I'm doing sometimes, um, because then that gives me an opportunity to work through them. It's like I always tell my students: it's never as bad as you think it is. Even if it is, there's always something good on the other side of it. I've really had to put myself in that learner's seat and say, dude, okay, today you were angry. At the end of the day, you were really angry. The kids wouldn't come along with you for the lessons, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your ELC scores aren't where you want them to be. You're angry about it. You don't feel like you're making uh, you know, a difference. But that's where we have to hold on to the truth. The truth, um, the, the truth is not wrapped up in test scores. The truth is not wrapped up in every day being perfect. The truth is what happens in the dirt and the grit and the grunge of a school year. Um, and it may not always look like a beautiful process. You may exit the school year battered, bruised, you know, crawling, limping or whatever. But in the end, it's worth it. It is worth it because for the time that you have those students in your classroom for that year, in some way, you may not even see it. You've made them better and they've made you better. I think that's a perfect way to transition into our exit ticket because I totally agree 100% with, with what both of you are saying here tonight. So the exit ticket, Justin, is the same four questions that we ask every guest every week, and then Matt will finish it up with a request. So question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Um, be unafraid of looking silly or embarrassing your, embarrassing yourself in front of them. That's an, the easiest access point to winning a student over is making a mistake or embarrassing yourself in front of them. <laughs> and being okay with apologizing. Absolutely. Yes. So what is, 
Yeah, what is, uh, I imagine that you have, I cannot wait for this answer. What is the best piece of advice that you've received? And this could be from a colleague, maybe a supervisor, or even a student. Um, the best piece of advice that I've received in teaching is don't just be you, be all of you. Like 100% of it. If you're moody sometimes, that's fine. If you are silly and bouncing off the wall, sometimes that's cool, be that. Uh, but the kids deserve all of you because in so many spaces, they only get bits and pieces so that when they're with you, give them the whole movie, give them the whole show. They'll appreciate you more for it in the end. That lines up for the next question pretty well. So, you know, the school year goes in waves and there are days and weeks that we just struggle to survive. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier. So kind of speak to and maybe re reemphasize what is something that every educator needs to hear to power up to kind of push through those moments of struggle? This sounds really trite, but you're doing good work. Even if the lesson doesn't land, even if the test scores aren't great, even if your classroom feels, feels like it's a zoo and there's chaos everywhere, none of that reflects badly upon you if you have the belief on the inside of you that, you that you are doing your best and you are doing good work. That's it. It's perfect. So it's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What separates teachers who are constantly seeking change, innovation, and implementing new teaching strategies? I think it's just what you said. You, you reflect and you realize the same things are happening every day. Students are responding the same way. I'm asking the same kinds of questions. Uh, that's where the reflective piece of teaching is so powerful, um, you know, powered up learning. We, we, we learn to spot those things that we're doing every single day. Now, some patterns are good, but I also think patterns can become a box that we enclose ourselves in uh, because we're afraid to take risks. So um, when you see or when you feel you have that intuition that things are happening the same way every day, like Groundhog Day uh, with Bill Murray, uh, then it is time to make changes. Justin, I'm sure you have something other other to do with a, five kids at home and what have you, but I could continue <laughs> this conversation much longer. Um, how how would you say is the best way that we can continue to connect and our audience can follow along with your journey in education in the future? Um, so Instagram is underscore, I'm sorry, at underscore JB Speaks. And uh, it's the same thing on Twitter at underscore JB Speaks. Those are the two primary ways to catch up with me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Justin. I love the uh, creative use of the underscore before everything. I feel like that's a, a nice way to, to grab a, a username. Uh, but we will know. link up to your social media handles on our show notes page, which can be found at uh, poweredu.up.com slash show 72. You can follow us on social media at poweredu.up. 
Matt, you can follow him at EdTechNeighbor, and you can follow me at Ken Ehrman on social media as well. So thank you so much, Justin. This has been fantastic. I've loved this conversation. Uh, Matt and I have been on a run of guests. Uh, we haven't recorded by ourselves in a long time, which is a good thing. And you are actually our last one before we kind of jump into a, a summer a summer PD series that we're rolling out. And I can't think of a better way to end this. Your students are clearly very lucky to have you as a classroom teacher. Uh, whatever school decides to give you a shot as an assistant principal will be incredibly lucky. If anyone is dumb enough along the way to not give you that <laughs> shot, shame on them, because we need assistant principals like you that are there to build relationships with not only the students, but the teachers as well, but also to hold that firm line, to know that there, is, there are expectations. And I can see you creating that line very clearly and towing that line to make sure students you know, know what's going on, but also know that they have someone that they can connect with and confide in as well. So, so thank you again. Keep doing what you're doing because you're making education better for us all. So Matt, why don't you take us on out of here? All right. As we power down this episode, Justin, you have left us feeling quite powered up. So keep it up, as Ken said. Um, and this goes out to the audience as well. You know, you're doing an incredible job and uh, we're just lucky every day to have an impact on kids. So um, it's our privilege to get to chat with you tonight and we will talk to you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.